following is a special presentation of the Mars Attacks podcast, member of Talking Metal Digital. Hey, Metalheads and Headbangers, this is Dolo Cash, and you're listening to Victor here on Mars Attacks Radio. I wish you a great time, rock on, and keep metal alive. Hi, this is Udgert Sada of UDO, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Don Jameson from That Metal Show on VH1 Classic, and you're listening to Mars Attacks Crankin'. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dave Windorf of Monster Magnet, and you are listening to Mars Attacks. Hi, this is Robert Fleshman, and you're listening to Mars Attacks with Victor. Hello, my name is Blaze Bailey. You're listening to Mars Attacks. Radio. Yeah, this is John Schaefer from Iced Earth, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. What's up? This is Morgan from Kitty, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Welcome one and all to another episode of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor, and joining me once again is my good friend, Chris Vaglio. Chris, how are you? I am excellent, Victor. How are you? I'm doing well. It is uh, late night over here in Spain, catching Chris in uh, late afternoon stages here back in New Jersey, and... Um, we're touching on a, a topic that the catalyst was basically uh, Skid Row's switching of lead singers, switching over to uh, Tony Hardell. Or no, I said that wrong. Tony Harnell. Um, and they redid the track 18 in Life. And there are so many different reasons why bands redo tracks. In, in their case, I mean, it was obvious. They wanted to show that, you know, he could pull off Sebastian's parts with the track um, and and pretty much put fans at ease with them bringing him into the lineup. Now, you're always going to have a certain percentage of fans that are still going to be divided and they don't want the new guy in. They want the guy that they grew up listening to and you're not going to make everyone happy. But outside of this, I mean, there are other circumstances where uh, usually it's money that's involved for you know, movies or video games or uh, things of that nature. A lot of different bands have done this over the years. And we've each selected five tracks to discuss. And it could be tracks that we like how they redid them, could be that we're indifferent with them or or that we don't like them at all. But but nonetheless, um, it's basically food for thought, food to get some feedback from the listening audience and as usual if you want to comment on the episodes or any of the um the things that we mentioned go to the facebook page which is facebook.com forward slash mars attacks radio or twitter it is mars aries 2005 on twitter in any event you can go to the homepage of mars attacks radio and there's a link to all that great stuff on the 
right-hand side that you can click on and go over and, and comment. Uh, also remind you guys that you can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes or Stitcher. And if you are so inclined and want to help the podcast out, we have two ways of doing so. There is a good old PayPal donation button where you can donate absolutely anything you want. Or we have affiliates links to stores that give us a small kickback for sending you their way. So if you want to buy uh, any one of the albums mentioned during today's shows, we're going to have links to the Amazon store where we already have a storefront set up which will have every one of the albums in question uh, from the, the the tracks that we're going to play. So uh, check that out, and you don't have to pay anything else. They just give us a uh, a nice little uh, nice little chunk of change for sending you their way. So, and thanks in advance for anyone for for doing that. Anyway, so we are gonna kick things off. We were sort of uh, scheming off air here. Uh, regarding how to do it, how to how to set things up, in what order um, to put these songs, and and there's a a great track that, or, or a bunch of tracks that we're gonna end up discussing in the end, yeah. Um, by by one band, but um, anyway, um, before we we jump into all these tracks, uh, I touched upon Skid Row initially, um. Did you get to listen to 18 in Life, uh, the the 2015 rendition, and, and what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I did, actually. And I, I remember um, it was actually really funny, too, because uh, I feel like everything kind of coalesced in that, in that time period because you and I were talking about doing another show soon. And uh, and I remember that, that, that night, it was, like, all over the place because uh, Eddie Trunk had interviewed... Um, um, I forgot who who from Skid Row was on the show that night on Hair Nation. I think it may have been, may have been Snake and, and Rachel Bowen. I'm not sure. Um, but they had, uh, I guess they had just announced that they had parted ways with their, uh, the, the guy that they had that replaced Sebastian Bach um, and that they got a new lead singer and they were announcing it and that it was uh, uh, Tony Harnell, right? Is that his name? Tony Harnell from, uh, from TNT. And, uh, and I was like, wow, that's really interesting. And then it seemed like that night on Facebook, all of a sudden the, the track appeared <laughs> on a, on a, on a Skid Row's, uh, I guess it just went out like everywhere. So it was on Facebook. Though. That's where I heard it initially. I think it was on their, their band, camp, band camp page or something like that. And uh, and so I listened to it right away because I was like, well, I got to hear this. Because I always, you know, TNT is not like one of those, bands that are like totally my favorite but they've got some great songs you know like when they come on i i, I you know i've got them on my ipod and stuff and I'll, I'll crank it up and you know and that guy has a great voice so um i was definitely very interested in hearing you know his take on on pretty much you know a classic song like 18 in life i mean that's one of skid row's like biggest hits from that uh from that era and uh i was uh you know i gotta say i i was um I was surprised, you know, because I, I just uh, wasn't sure what to expect, you know, and I know he has a great voice, so I wanted to hear his take on it. And I just, you know, I was, I was definitely pleasantly surprised. I mean, I, it's, if you think you're going to get Sebastian Bach, you know, you're, you're not. I mean, he's, it's, you know, we already have the version with Sebastian Bach on it. So, you know, comparing the two songs, um, you know, I, of course it's like, 
you hear the classic songs. The, the big the big problem is, I think, when any of these bands redo songs, especially when they're really popular songs, like you have the original one stuck in your head for so long. You've heard it a thousand times, especially a song like 18 and Life. And so you you hear Sebastian's voice, even but even but even beyond that, the production of of what's on the record and the band and all that, you're just so used to that. So it's uh it's it's cool to kind of hear a take on it, and they they try to stay pretty pretty faithful, I think, to the original track. Um, as far as it's not like they rearranged the song or anything like that. Um, but you know production wise and all that, it's it's there's definitely differences in in the song for me. I mean. I, I hate to say the word novelty, but in a way it has that novelty feel to it. I'm like, oh, okay, well, this is interesting. I mean, the guy's going to be singing these songs live, so you're going to hear him sing them when, when they come around on tour, and I'm sure they're going to record a new record with him. And I guess uh, either, you know, uh, I mean, obviously it was very planned to have, you know, this big launch of, of being on Eddie Trunk's show and, you know, announcing that they had parted ways with the singer, and now that they now they've got uh, Tony Arnell in the band. And then all of a sudden, this track appears online. So, of course, it's all very orchestrated, which, you know, kudos to them for the marketing of this and, you know, getting buzz out there. I mean, that's, that's it's good. It's good marketing on their point to do that. But, um, you know, for me, it's like, okay, I listen to it, and it, the novelty of it's worn off. And, you know, I'm, I'm interested in seeing now what the music they're going to make with him is, and hopefully they're not just going to redo classic Skid Row songs with him. I hope that's not the intent, like, it's cool to do that because it just gets the news out there um, that they've got a new singer and everybody's going to be interested in hearing it and bringing some more attention to Skip Row again. So um, I got to say that I'm sure that that was the point of doing it. So I, I'd say they were very successful in doing that. But I'm not going to now all of a sudden throw this song on my iPod and, and listen to that version all the time. I mean, I'm not. It's not going to replace what I like. So um, in this sense, the song, it's you know. Um, I'm I'm not gonna keep it. It's not gonna be something I'm gonna keep. It's not the version I'm gonna now listen to and replace. I'm still gonna be into the original, um, uh, the original version with with Sebastian Bach. So, um, good attempt. I mean, it sounds great. You know, I don't have anything against it, but for me, it just has more of a novelty effect than, than anything. You know, that's a that's a good point because <clears throat> that's exactly what I've mentioned. When bands redo highly popular songs, uh, not in this case, but when they cover them, for example, I remember um, a few years ago, Godsmack redid. Uh, it was a bunch of like popular tunes. It was uh, "Good Times, Bad Times" by Led Zeppelin and "Rocky Mountain Way" by Joe Walsh. And I'm thinking, why would I, uh, first of all, stations? don't play more than one or two songs from a band's catalog. And why would they play a cover instead of the original? <laughs> you know, it just doesn't, doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. Yeah. But, uh, and, and novelty is the word that I've always thought, you know, may, maybe with a hometown station, the, the, the novelty doesn't wear off where, you know, I don't know, in South Jersey, the rat, continues to to play that over and over again right but i don't see it going beyond that because any big you know corporate owned um station is gonna still pull from what they've always gone with so um this yeah, is they're not gonna just replace that out of their of their of their, yeah. their playlist catalog and you know the programmers and all that like it'll be in there and 
you know, like I, like a station like Sirius XM, like they have it all loaded up and they just, they, they, they call it on and it'll, you know, it'll be a fun thing to say, Hey, here's, Hey, for anybody that's in the skid row, here's a new version of APN Life with their new singer, check it out. And, you know, but that's not going to last forever. Yeah. When you're talking about yeah. like, Oh, let's listen to 18 in life. When they play it, it's not going to be the Tony Arnell version of it. It's going to be the, the version that everybody knows and yeah. loves and has grown up with. The the funny thing, and this isn't one of the tracks that we picked, but uh, it was a huge controversy back in the day. And it was when Sharon Osbourne decided that <laughs> that they'd had enough with um, Bob Daisley and Lee Kerslake yeah. Um, yeah. asking for royalties. And all of a sudden, I remember working out in Western Jersey, and the station that we r- would listen to it was from Allentown. It was a clear channel uh, station. And they were actually playing the redone versions of Crazy Train, and um, I think it was Over the Mountain. Uh, right, yeah, because they replaced everything on the record. Yeah, whatever songs that they played off of those first two albums, they were doing the the new redone version with Robert Trujillo and with um, uh, with Mike Borden. Yeah, and and it was it was such a shame. And I remember the day that they stopped doing it, like the DJ got on the air and pretty much said, "Hey, you know, this is the way that we've always heard the the tracks. You know, we no longer have to play those." The, the, those redone versions of these tracks. So it was pretty funny that a DJ actually went out there and and sort of mentioned that. So yeah, no, I mean it's it's once again, man. You grow up, especially when it comes to these classic songs. I mean, I, I don't know. It's like it's it's like it's just funny to me, you know. And and I do get it. I do get it sometimes. With you know, we'll go through some of these songs. I, I understand sometimes the choices, and it does have to do with money and and retaining rights and, and, uh, you know, getting a larger share of the pie for these artists. And, and I, I respect that. I mean, this is their life and if they can't, uh, you know, if they can't get a larger share of the pie, then, you know, oftentimes they'll re-record a song so they can sell it for like commercials, movies, video games, um, right. you know, whatever, you know, so that way they can, they can get a larger piece of the pie, which, you know, Hey, they should deserve. It's their song. And, and you know, they're publishing stuff. It's, but oftentimes, too, when, when you do do that, then for the fan, and you can tell the difference is, obviously, when a song, when a band records a song in, in the '70s or '80s, you know they're they're in a different place. You know their 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 mindset, everything is is different. They're younger. Their their attitude towards things. Like when they wrote that song, they were in a different place, and when they recorded it, it was, um, you know, a different feeling. And and to try to then to recreate that or recapture that that spirit or that energy is is, you know, for me, I, I, I would say it has to be extremely difficult, you know, to, to try to redo yeah. that, especially when you have, like, some iconic songs and, you know, you hear some of the stories of, like, hey, well, that was a one-take song and they just nailed it because, of, you know, uh, because of the energy and it was just so special, you know, it's, like, becomes magic. And like, then try to recreate that magic again is, is uh, to me, it seems virtually impossible. I mean, you know, it's just a moment in time that, hey, got it on tape, you know, and, and there it is for everybody to hear and enjoy. And, and that's what you, you know, and that, that's a part of the emotional attachment to the song of why, you know, you liked it as a fan in the first place. Um, yeah. And so, you know, and I, I get it. I, I totally get it. You know, the, the, the other, the other half of the word of, of music business is business. So, <laughs> you know, it, it is, it, it is, it's <laughs> yeah. still a business and these guys need to, 
eat and make money too, like all of us, all of us poor yeah, slobs. <laughs> <laughs> so kicking things off here is a track that I picked. Uh, this comes off of the album Generation Swine, which came out in 1997. Yeah. And before yeah. the album came out, uh, apparently the what was talked about at the time was that Marilyn Manson had a big hand in getting Motley Crue supposedly back together with Vince Neil. And one of the things, when this album came out, Marilyn Manson was huge at the time. So similar to what we were talking about off the air, you know, uh, Motley Crue has always been a band that's followed whatever trends have been going on in the rock world and on rock radio. And as a result, you have Shout at the Devil 97, which was done more in an industrial way similar to um, to what Manson was, was doing at the time yeah. and what a lot of other yeah. bands were, were into. And um, I remember them debuting this specific version uh, on the American Music Awards like uh, a few months before the album even came out. Yeah, I remember saying that too, and I was like, I think we all were like waiting, you know, because it was like you knew they were going to be on, but you didn't know what they were going to play and all that. It was like, right, it was a big deal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and it's interesting because they've always played this version since. If you've seen them live, they've always done the shout at the devil '97. I don't know if that has to yeah. do with um, Mick Mars preferring to play it that way, or I don't know, but at the time. Uh, the band did it to cash in, you know, on, on the what was going on, the trends that were going on at the time. So again, yeah. comes down to money yeah. in that in that case. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, and then <clears throat> I, I mean, watching them play it on the award show was definitely weird because I, I you know, it was the first time I'd heard it like that. It, I, the first thing that struck me was just the whole that 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 style and the faster and. But yeah, definitely trying to like, like you said, cash in on the style of the um, of the times of that that, uh, that I'm not going to say industrial sounding kind of thing, but it has that like bit of that yeah. like uh, almost like sampled guitar sound type of thing, which you know, which Marilyn Manson was doing, and you know, I mean, all of them were all doing it, but um, yeah. but you know, then they have like Motley Crue, who's like not that. Uh, kind of incorporate it into like once again a very classic and iconic song which to me you don't need to really screw around with too much it's shout at the devil i mean everybody loves it we all we all love it we all know it you all want to get to the point where you know we're all chanting shout at the devil so it's like uh, <laughs> i don't think i don't think there was much there would, for me there was not any improvements to be made on the song so you know obviously for them it was uh it was a business decision or you know, maybe they're just bored of playing it, which I know that's happened too with bands. They they want to rearrange a song because they're just bored. And they want to do a ska version of the song all of a sudden, so they yeah. go for it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be interesting, a ska version of a... I'm sure that exists out there. I'm sure there's some band out there right now, some reggae band that's converted Shot the Devil into a, into a ska reggae version. I'm sure it exists. <laughs> And if they haven't, I'm sure we're the catalyst for them doing so. Yeah, we could be somebody's inspiration behind that. And you, ne the next cruise ship you go on down to the Bahamas or something, you'll hear a version of that or to Jamaica. <laughs> Shout out to Devil Rigger, Scott version. <laughs> 
All right, so let's check out uh, Motley Crue's 1997 rendition of their classic Shout at the Devil. Generation Swine album that is Shout at the Devil 97 and that was my pick so let's go with Chris's first pick we're doing five picks each and we're going to discuss 
uh, each of the tracks in between. So go ahead, Chris. What's your first track that you want to discuss? Sure. So, um, you know, being being uh, I am a fan of Megadeth, um, so they've already had success with back-to-back records with uh, Western Peace and uh, Countdown to Extinction. And uh, then they had put out a record um, somewhere in there, I think after Countdown, which was called Euthanasia, which actually I, I wasn't that into that record that much. It wasn't, uh, it just wasn't a, uh, wasn't a big, big fan of that record for me. Uh, but there was a, there was a good song on there that I, I did like that the, uh, and my French is terrible. So, um, but it's uh, a key Lehman, I think. Is that how you say it? Is that how you say it, Victor? Yeah, more or less. Yeah, more or less. Um, but, uh, you know, a pretty, pretty cool song. Um, definitely a little bit different for, for Megadeth at that time, but still, you know, had some, some classic playing on it and all that. And actually this song caused some controversy too. When, uh, when it first came out, cause it was actually banned by MTV, um, because they claimed it was a pro suicide song. Um, but actually, you know, as, uh, as Dave tries to explain it, that, that it's not a suicide song and it's more or less like, you know, what you want to say to people after, you know, when you know you're going to be dying type of thing. And um, he goes on to explain it, but, you know, it, he pretty much defined it, said it was not a suicide song, but, but they did uh, they did ban the uh, song and, and video from MTV. So um, whether or not that was the catalyst to redo it later on, um, I don't know. I, I actually tried to look to see if there was, if there was a reason, but um, he why they wind up redoing it again? Uh, uh, they wound up redoing the song in 2007 um, for the uh, United uh, Abominations record, and this time they um, he actually sung it as a duet with uh, Christina Scavia from Lupin um, Coil. And uh, <clears throat> you know what? What's different too in, in the song as well is, is not obviously too they had a duet with with the female vocals, and they actually changed the tuning on the song. A bit too, which you you can hear it um, if you if you play the songs back to back, you can tell there there's a difference where he's playing in kind of standard tuning, and then he and then uh, when um, you know they recorded a half step down for for using Asia, so you can kind of hear some of the differences there. Um, I mean, for me, the big the big difference that I I notice as as a guy is, as a fan of music is that you know Marty Friedman played on the original version, and I and I think Marty Friedman is just a phenomenal, phenomenal player. Not to take anything off of uh, away from uh, you know Glenn Drover, who's also a great guitarist. But you know, the, for me, the classic lineup of Megadeth was with Marty Friedman on guitars, um, and uh, just I I love that era of Megadeth. So um, the fact that his playing is featured on the original one just makes it more uh, of makes that version for me a little more likable. Um, also, too, I, I kind of know what, you know, trying to go with, with incorporating, like, Christina from Lacuna Coil on, on these, on this track, trying to tap into, uh, you know, to, to try to, uh, maybe get some new fans that are familiar with Megadeth. So I, I understand that, too. Um, I mean, I, I love Lacuna Coil, and I think Christina's got an amazing voice. I'm not so sure it works very well in the song as far as a duet, too. It just feels a little weird to me when I listen to it. Um, so it never really took hold for me as far as that goes. So I, I'll say in this case, I I, I like the original version better um, than than a re-recorded version. So uh, those are my uh, those are my thoughts. <laughs> okay, cool. 
Yeah, I mean, I, the first thing that I thought of when I heard the the version with Christina was that they were trying to tap in to what was hip at the moment. Right. And as you're saying, you know, reestablish the band. They were, you know, coming back after, you know, the system had failed where there was sort of, there was talk that that was the last Megadeth album and that he was going to come out with a solo album. And then all of a sudden he said, well, no, you know, I am Megadeth and I don't need to put out a solo album. You know, whatever comes out, is going to come out as Megadeth. So, I, I mean, I think he was just trying to, you know, open up more doors and, and get a newer audience involved Yeah, uh, with them, especially w- with a track that was, you know, as you said, it wasn't on MTV, but it, it was definitely on metal radio at the time. You know, I don't yeah. think SOU shied away from, from playing that, you know, but, um, uh, anyway, um, regarding preferences, I mean, I like both versions. I, I think it's cool to hear a, a modernized version of the track, but I mean, right. l- like you're saying, you're so used to hearing the original. It's, it's, it's tough to beat it. Um, but um yeah and and Glenn Drover's a good friend of the ba- uh, of, of the show so we don't want to uh step on his toes he's um he's always he, he's always sending me emails and stuff and uh he 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 did an admirable job with that version I think you know Oh absolutely uh, yeah I mean I, yeah I I take nothing away from him he's he's yeah a great great player you know it's just uh for me you know once again I have from from a fan perspective um you know, I just Marty Friedman playing on that and, and coming from that lineup where, you know, those, those great yeah. stringer records and, and being on that just, you know, and, and I could hear that you can hear the differences in their playing. I mean, you know, Marty Friedman has a distinct style. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you 100% on that. I mean, very admirable job. I mean, put it this way, I can't play that. So <laughs> <laughs> neither can I. Anyway, so so let's check out. Let's check out the redone version since most of you guys have probably heard the original. Uh, this is Megadeth coming off of 2007's United Abomination. It is A Tout Le Monde by Megadeth. Don't remember where I was. I realize life is a game. The more serious they are to things. The harder the rules became I had no idea What it cost My life passed before my eyes I found out a little I accomplished All my plans tonight So as you read this know my friends I'd love to stay with you all Please smile when you think of me My body's gone, that's Break. 
What you heard there was a little Megadeth. That was Chris's pick. So the the ball is back in my court here, and this this album is is sort of interesting. Uh, fans of the show will know that I'm a huge Anthrax fan. Um, I remember at the time when the album came out, they polled their fans to see what tracks they wanted to hear on the Greater of Two Evils. Mm-hmm. It was going to be John Bush uh, redoing all the old Joey Belladonna original tracks that the fans had picked. And um, and I don't know. I know that a lot of people, you know, with Anthrax and with any band like this where, again, I mentioned this with Skid Row, there's always going to be a split when there's a, a hugely important member of the band who is no longer there. Yeah. I know plenty of people that just like the Joey years and didn't even want to listen to what John Bush was singing, you know, with, with the newer material with him. And I know people that listen to these versions of him singing it and they loved it. You know, for, for me, I mean, if I have to pick between the two, I, I, 
I'm 100% a John Bush guy. I just connect more with the music that uh, that he made with the band. Not mm-hmm. to say that the Joey mm-hmm. stuff sucks, but that's just my personal personal preference. Um, it was funny because when I interviewed John Bush, I asked him, I said, well, since you had to do the greater of two evils, do you think there should be a part two with Joey doing tracks that you originally did? And and he actually laughed for a little and he said, yeah, you know, that's not a bad idea. He goes, you know, for all these years, I kept up, you know, sort of the the Joey stuff and, and we tried to do it our own way. You know, uh, there shouldn't, he basically said that there shouldn't, they shouldn't lose, you know, the tracks that he did while he was in the track that he had recorded some classics that should still be done with Joey singing. And at the time, uh, they had just done that first uh, Big Four show with him doing only and it didn't sound all that great. And um, he was he was trying to be politically correct about the whole situation. So uh, I, I felt it was interesting. Uh, to me, there are tracks off of here that I absolutely love with John Bush singing them. And it isn't that I hate the fact that Joey isn't singing. It's just that some of the stuff, some of the instrumentation that's changed, some of the solos just aren't as good as the original. Um, but the singing to me, I mean, if, if there were some way of, you know, stripping away Joey's vocals and adding, you know, John Bush's uh, singing and, and updating the sound somehow. I mean, I, I I think I'd be all for it. But there there are a few tracks that came out really, really good. Um, I mean, I picked the track Lone Justice because I've always loved that track. Um, I mean, it's, to me, one of the, the greatest tracks that the band has done, regardless of what era that you're, that you're looking at uh, from the band. And I think it's one of the better tracks that, that are that are actually performed on the album. So uh, those are my two cents. Chris, what what are your feelings on this one? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I got to be honest with you 100% is this is this is an Anthrax record. I actually did not ever um, really buy or, or listen to, and not because I'm not a John Bush guy. It really had nothing to do with that. I just never, I just never picked it up. You know, it's like one of those things I just never bought at the time when it came out. And, yeah. um, and only recently, and especially too, with with uncovering, you know, when you sent me the tracks for the show, is when I started listening to it now. And uh, and I actually am gonna go and, and buy this record now because I'm like, man, how the hell did I miss this when it came out? Like, I just did. It just it just floated under my radar for whatever reason. But um, but listening to this track and listen, spreading the disease for, disease for me is um, is just a is a classic classic record from start to finish. I mean, it's you know, for me, it's, it's it's between that and Among the Living, just the two records that just uh, symbolize my, my youth <laughs> and as far as thrash metal goes. But uh, Lone Justice, for me, is, is definitely one of my favorite songs off that record. So, uh, and to, to kind of hear it now redone and, you know, with, with John Bush on vocals, it's it's definitely cool. I, I, I like John Bush as a vocalist. I mean, like, like him in Armored Saint. I can't say I was a huge Armored Saint fan, but every time I hear Armored Saint, I'm like, man, this guy's just got great vocals, and and I really like the sound of White Noise when, when it came out. Um, some of the other Anthrax records that started coming out after that, I just wasn't a fan of the songwriting. Um, it just didn't it just didn't keep me. 
but John Bush's vocals have always been consistent, and I've always liked him. So on this, uh, taking a classic Anthrax song and having him do it where he was, you know, probably doing some of these songs live um, anyway with the band at some point, I think I think it's cool. I, I, I like it. I, I do like it. I, I listened to this version actually, I think about four times actually, and uh, and I and I dig it. You know, so, yeah, you can tell some of the the changes in some of the instrument instrumentation because obviously you know Joey is a different singer, and once again, these songs being written in the eighties and then trying to update them now and 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 accommodate uh, John Bush's vocal styles like something has to give. You've got to change some things and uh, to make the song work. It's just that's just what you have to do. So, but I, I do like it. Um, do I like it more than the original? Uh, I, I guess, you know, I'm going to say I don't like it more than the original, but I do enjoy it. Um, I would definitely, for me, I always gauge things like, hey, would I put this on my iPod and listen to it? <laughs> so, uh, I, I would. Yeah, right. I would buy this record and I would put the whole thing on my iPod and I, and I, I, would, I would dig it. Um, I, I, would, I would definitely listen to it. So, um, unlike eighteen in life, which I would never do. <laughs> awesome. I mean, this is. I like this track so much that I actually like both, both versions. So I can listen to to both without an issue with these. There, like I said, there are some of the others that that's not the case. But yeah. anyway, yeah. let's let's check it out. And once again, you know, if you listen to one of these tracks and you think it's great or you think it sucks or whatever drop us a line there on facebook or, or via twitter and let us know what you think and obviously we can't cover everything i mean there was a huge list that we were throwing back and oh, forth yeah. and these are just a few selections so feel free to also chime in with you know other other things that would fall into the premise of this show and share your thoughts with us as well. So uh, anyway, here we go. A little anthrax coming off of greater of two evils. This is lone justice.
what you just heard there was the John Bush, Bush Thrax, if you will, <laughs> um, doing the classic, uh, originally done on spreading the disease, that is Lone Justice. And now we move over to Chris with pick number two. Yes, pick number two. So I'm going to gonna break the, uh, the metal mold for a little bit. Um, and step outside of the zone, but not, not too far. Um, and I'm going to go with, uh, with a band that I, I really, I really love, and I, I still consistently try to see when they come out and it's uh bad religion. And, um, you know, bad religion is, is just one of these iconic, uh, punk bands that's, that's been around, uh, for years from LA. And they're just, uh, they're just a great, great band. And they've put out so many classic records and, so many good, good songs they, they've done. And, and it's actually funny because you, you hear a lot of these songs and you're like, man, these, half of these songs should have been on the radio back in the day, but they just never were. And uh, they, they consistently, for me, have always, have always put out some, some pretty good music, especially in, in the 80s and, and very early 90s. And they have a song which is like one of the most famous bad religion songs. If you're a fan of the band, you know. And if you're not a fan of the band, I'm sure you've heard it. And it's 21st Century Digital Boy. Um, definitely, that's that's one of their signature songs. They play it live. It's usually, you know, on one of the songs they, they leave later in the set because everybody goes nuts when they hear it because it's just a great, great song. And uh, and they had originally released this song um, back in 1990 when it was on their, uh, their fifth uh, studio record, Against the Grain, which uh, record from start to finish is really good, by the way. So definitely pick that one up. But... Uh, then they actually, you know, like a lot of the bands in the um, very early 90s, you know, once <laughs> once Green Day kind of broke through, um, much like with Seattle, the label started signing up anything that was that was punk um, because that's just, hey, that's what was selling. And, you know, Bad Religion had always been a band that uh, really did not, um, they did not live on a major label. They actually lived on Epitaph, which is uh, Mr. Brett, who's in the band, uh, one of the guitarists and one of the chief songwriters of, of Bad Religion, it, it's his label. And obviously, you know, we know that, uh, you know, he put out some some really, really, really successful music on Epitaph, you know, um, besides Bad Religion. I mean, he had Rancid on there, and of course, you know, Offspring. So he had some some really, really big, um, big, big acts on, on that label. But the band wanted to, you know, jump and, and, you know, get on a behemoth label. So they, they signed with Atlantic. And they put out a, um, a record on Atlantic called Stranger Than Fiction, which came out in 1994. And they re-recorded 21st Century Digital Boy. And uh, I did manage to find some, some stuff on it. And, you know, basically, you know, Brett, Mr. Brett uh, wanted, he always thought that when he wrote the song, it was kind of that, that, that single that stand out and I mean it is it is a standout song it's played but he always envisioned it being on the radio and uh, of course like a lot of times when bands will re-record songs the label had heard the record and said there isn't a hit single on this record so um, they re-recorded 21st Century Digital Boy because Mr. Brett thought that that was going to be the hit single and uh, and ultimately that's what they did you know they, they re-recorded it um, and um and put it on the record, and it wound up being um, one of the breakthrough singles on that record. Uh, and, you know, pretty much, you know, got the band launched as far as uh, 
thereafter goes with their with their Atlantic career, um, which I don't think lasted all that. Or lasted a few records, and then they eventually went back to Epitaph when they got the you know they didn't sell enough units in uh, record label speak, <laughs> and uh, they wound up leaving leaving Atlantic Records, but. You know, 21st Century Digital Boy to me, I mean, when you hear both songs, when you hear both versions of it side by side, I mean, honestly, it's, it's, the difference for me is a little bit of performance and, a, and, and production. Um, you can't beat, of course, you know, I'm sure uh, the studio budget that Atlantic, I'm sure, gave Bad Religion to go in and record this record and, and, and make it, make it so, um, rivals probably what the band spent on it themselves back in uh you know 1990 when they when they, when they were doing it themselves or against the grain so um i actually you know both versions of the song like i said sound sound for the most part identical but you can hear a i think a, a tighter performance from the band and uh and i i do i like the re-recorded version better than than the original and i, I don't think that it lost any of its any of its punk rock at all and it doesn't sound like a sellout version um of the song i mean listen the song is still good and so i think yeah and in this case it actually benefited from being re-recorded in my eyes and it benefited from a better production value and i think the band just being better band you know musically um at that point and uh yeah so i actually uh enjoy both versions they're both on my ipod and uh and i usually will have the the um Usually the version that's on Strange and Fiction is usually the one that's, uh, on, you know, whenever I make playlists and stuff like that. So uh, it's a great song. Absolutely. I mean, that's a, an interesting point that this is probably out of the tracks that we picked is probably the one that sounds closest to the original. Yeah. Where yeah. you really have to listen close to to make sure that, you know which which of the two versions you listen to, but Stranger Than Fiction is such a great album, start to finish. To to me, it's one of the not only not only one of the best albums to come out in '96 or in the '90s. To me, it's one of the best albums to ever be released, in my opinion. And I know I'm not a as huge of a Bad Religion fan as you are, but but um, I I can say that I was lucky enough. Uh, to be working with you at College Radio at the time when Stranger Than... No, not Stranger Than Fiction. I'm sorry. When um, Recipe for yeah, Hate Recipe came out. Hate. And yeah. and I remember you saying, oh, you got to check this out. You know, Eddie Vedder singing on a few tracks and, and this and that. And, and I didn't know who they were. And, you know, and American Jesus became a huge track. And, and I forget what other song was, was big off of that. Mm. But... Um, Stranger Than Fiction came out shortly after, and I mean it was just huge. It was it was all over MTV, and it's funny that that you know you mentioned that they said that there that there weren't any like huge tracks off of the album, but or huge singles. But you look at the the four singles that were released: Twenty uh, First Century Digital Boy, Infected, Stranger Than Fiction, and Incomplete. And to me, I mean, you can't go wrong with any of those four tracks. Obviously, 21st Century Digital Boy is maybe a little poppier, a little hookier with the um, with the chorus, but they've always been a band that's been, you know, a hook driven, uh, hook driven, excuse me, punk band that have if if the chorus works, uh, 
you get sucked in automatically and you've got the song in your head for days. So, um, similar to what you're saying, anytime that, uh, that I have to put a, um, uh, this song in a compilation of any sort or, or up on, you know, my, my iPod or, or on iTunes or whatever, uh, it's, this is the version that I pull from. So, I mean, I think, uh, this is one of those cases where the the redone track over overtakes the the original track like you're saying not by much but uh it just does it so uh let's jump into this now this is bad religion with 21st century digital boy coming off of stranger than fiction i can't What you heard there was a little bad religion, and the ball is now in my court. Let me bring my list back up here. For some reason, I I closed it for a second. All right, here we go. So my next pick, um, 
this pick is based on the fact that um, when I when I interviewed Chuck Billy a, a while back, he mentioned that the reason they made First Strike still deadly was that he hated listening to to his early music. He mentioned that he he loved the tracks, but that the producers had too much say in how the the album sounded. And ultimately, when he listened to those albums against, say, Metallica albums or other thrash bands that were putting out albums at the time, he felt that their music seemed a lot more dated and the other classic albums sounded timeless. So that is why they went back in and redid a lot of the classic tracks off of their first two albums and they brought... Alex Skolnick back in, and this was sort of, you know, what built the whole momentum to getting that classic Testament lineup back together again. And um, the track that I'm picking here is just, I mean, at the time, if if you listen to metal radio, you always heard this track um, whenever they they talked about Testament. There, there's a few, obviously, if you're if you're a fan of the band, but early on, I mean, Into the Pit. I mean, I listened to this track a ton of times, so this is going to be the track that that I'm going with. And and sonically, yeah, I mean, I think it sounds a lot more aggressive. It sounds heavier than the original. And to me, this would be another case where I'd prefer to reach for the redone version as opposed to the original that was put out. So, uh, Chris, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I I have uh, I've seen Testament. Um, I mean, I saw them ages ago, like, actually saw them with uh, Nuclear Assault and Sabotage during the Practice What You Preach uh, tour, and uh, <laughs> that that was that was quite a show. But, you know, Testament has always just been a great band, and uh, they're so technically proficient, and I think the combination of, of Chuck Billy's... Uh, Chuck Billy's vocals have always fascinated me, because he's a dude that can, like, really get so many ranges from like the high screams to like the really low growls. It's just, uh, they, they, they're just such a great band in, in my eyes. And, uh, and I, I just, I like them a lot. And I actually, uh, was very fascinated by this, this, uh, this whole record, um, the re-records and, uh, you know, them redoing these songs. And you know, for me too, once again, it's, it's, I keep coming back to these, these songs for me are classic in the sense that I grew up on these songs. I've listened to these records, on and off, I mean, just on and off constantly. I mean, I had, um, I have, um, you know, the, the first few records, you know, New Order, I have it on, on cassette, you know, I wore it out. I mean, and Into the Pit is just a, uh, is a, is a classic, classic tune. And uh, I, I do like this, you know, this, this, uh, this new version because it feels, it feels thicker to me. Um, it feels heavier. You know, a lot of the what I think the band suffered from in the early, and I think a lot of the, and I think a lot of bands back in the '80s, especially thrash metal bands, did suffer from a much um, tinnier production. The, 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 it just never was as thick as you always wanted it to be. You know, even like bass and stuff was never like um, predominant. It was all about obviously, you know, the guitars and vocals and everything was just pushed, but nothing ever had like a ton of meat to it. And, what I like about this version is, like, in my head, I always wanted the songs to be thicker and meatier, and 
this is what was always in my head. <laughs> so um, it's cool. It's cool. It's cool right. hearing it, and uh, and I and I do like it. Um, once again, you know, I always come back to like, you know, these bands and they record these songs back in their original, you know, their back in the original um, time period. It's, you know, they're in a different place. They're they're different ages. You know, that that energy once again that they had then, and you know, can you recapture it now? And and it's hard to recreate magic. It's virtually impossible to, to, to redo that. But I think in this sense, they've captured the original spirit of these songs, especially this one. I mean, into the pits, like this, this is a classic metal song. You know, you just want to go nuts when you hear it. So, and you know, hearing his version, I still want to go nuts. So, um, I, I like this version. I do like it. Um, and I would, I would put this on my iPod and I would listen to this. (laughs) So there you go. This track will still make Chris go nuts. So that is the the seal of approval there. That's, that's it, man. <laughs> it still makes me go nuts. <laughs> All right. So let's check out a little testament with Into the Pit.
What you just heard there was Testament coming off of First Strike, Still Deadly. We both said that we'd prefer this updated version of Into the Pit, as sacrilegious as that may sound to a lot of people. Yeah. But go check it out and decide for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, so, listen, uh, it's, it's about having an open mind sometimes and, and uh, you know, and everybody's entitled to their own opinion. So I'm sure there's probably plenty of people who disagree with us. And, hey, that's okay because uh, that's what makes the world go round, man. <laughs> there you go. Pick number three for you. So I find this is a band for yeah. I was going to say Staten yeah, Island. From Staten Island, and uh, <laughs> I find it funny too because we just went from like testament to like the other. We're going to the other end of the spectrum for uh, for this pick is <laughs> yes. uh, is White Lions Broken Heart, and you know, and I, listen, I've I I'm not ashamed to admit it, man, and I, I I like White Lion. You know, I think that. As much as I can dig Testament and, and, and Slayer and Sepultura and everything else, I like my I like my, my other side of metal too. And, and White Lion is a damn good band, you know, especially their that first record, um, which is what this song was off of, Fight to Survive. I mean, if anybody hasn't listened to that record in a long time, I urge you to go back and go listen to the whole record because, you know, this this is a band that's like, you know they're hungry and they they want to make it and uh, and it's 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 a solid raw rock record and uh, I urge you to go back and go listen to the whole thing. But Broken Heart actually starts off this record, um, oddly enough, and and uh, and what I like about it is the um, you know between this version and it was re-released later on on Main Attraction, um, which came out in '91. So. The original version was in '85, and then and then re-released in '91. So pretty pretty good span of time and different you know places too musically. When you think about the time period from '85 to '91, and uh, and in the song and uh, the two versions are different. I mean, when you listen to them, I mean the the melody is still there and all that, but they are they are they they definitely have a different a different sound. I think that the pace is is different on each song and uh, and obviously on uh from the first record to main attraction it's the main attraction version is much much more polished and and i would say definitely ready for rock radio in in that sense it's you know it's and it's 1991 um this is starting to become the end of you know bands like white lion and you know all the bands that we like it's now getting harder to stay on the radio to stay on top and so you know main attraction was I think pretty much too. I think it was the la- the band's last studio record. I think. Am I am I right about that? Like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's so correct. this this is kind of this is kind of it for the band. And uh, and you know, putting Broken Heart on there, which is it is it's a good rock radio song. Is is a is a pretty much a good attempt for the band to try to uh, you know get something going on on this last record. So I think that uh, you know in the 1985 version you still have. You know, you obviously have the core of Mike Tramp and, and Vito Brada. Uh, you know, Vito Brada on guitars, Mike Tramp on vocals, and then but on bass vocals you have Felix Robinson and uh, Nicky Capozzi on drums. And then '91 you have pretty much what's considered the, the classic definitive lineup of White Line, which is Mike Tramp, Vito Brada, James Lomenzo on bass, and Greg D'Angelo on drums. And uh, I mean, you can tell the differences um, in the playing. I, I think. All in all, you know, if you go back and forth, yeah, you just, you just they are 
even though it's the same song, two very, very different takes on, on, on the song. Um, for me, I like the 1985 version, um, more. I, I just, I like the sense of urgency on that record. Uh, I'm going to say the production's not the best. It's not as slick sounding as, uh, you know, from pretty much when they got, you know, when Pride hit and, uh, you know, the big, big songs of Tell Me and Wait and, you know, so it doesn't have that, that big production sound. And especially by the time they get the main attraction, it's very, very slick and, and much bigger sounding. Um, but I, I like the rawness of the original track and I, I think it's a little more emotional for me, um, in that sense. So, uh, I will say I do like both versions. Um, of of the song, but if you're gonna have if you're gonna make me choose, I'm gonna say I do like the fight to survive version uh, better. And you know, ironically enough, too, what what even made me think of this Victor too is it, it's funny. It's it's always so funny how uh, you know things come around in time, and, and you're in especially you know you having kids and my kids being a little bit older than yours. Um, but uh, you know, my kids watch American Idol, and on season eleven. Um, <laughs> The, uh, one of the guys, I guess the contestants, I personally don't watch American Idol, but this is what they filled me in on, is uh, Colton Dixon. Uh, he he did the song in American Idols, I guess, the year they were born featured, and so he covered the song and re-recorded it. And I remember the, the girls in the car were driving, and they put it on, and they just go, oh, Dad, you got to hear the song. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And so it's just on, and I'm listening to them like, wait a second. This is the way line. Who the hell is this? They're like, it's Colton Dixon, Dad. And I go, but this is this is a white lion song, and they're like, "Who is White Lion?" I'm like, I'll, let, "Let me put it on for you." So I put on White Lion for them, and and you know I went with the main attraction version because I figured, okay, this is this is a softer version, <laughs> and uh, they're like that. They're like, "Dad, this is terrible." I'm like, "Oh my God, get out of the car." So, but it's it's just funny, like you know that this the song still kind of lives on, you know, in in the sense of uh, I guess on American Idol and being covered by you know pseudo wannabe pop stars, but uh. But anyway, my, my pick is to go with the, the fight the survivors and so but uh so what are your thoughts on that, Victor? Yeah. Um I remember when Main Attraction was about to come out and they said that this track was gonna be on there and I thought, cool, so it means that they're gonna go back to a grittier, heavier, guitar driven sound that was on Fight to Survive. You know, because to me Fight to Survive had that almost like a new wave of British heavy metal uh, production style applied to those tracks. Um, it was out on Glam Slam Records, yeah. I remember. And and we got main attraction, and, and, and I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> it, it took a while for me to, you know, to really like the track or... or be able to listen to it. And I've never been a ballad guy to begin yeah. with. I mean, anytime that I saw a, a, a ballad on MTV or heard it on the radio from a band that I loved, I was like, oh man, this is just, this is them just trying to make money, trying to get, you know, try, trying to get female fans or whatever, which is nothing wrong. I mean, but it just felt to me that the band was deviating from what, you know, their original mission statement yeah. was per se. Um, so, I mean, the, the redone version has almost always been a skip on that album for me. And I really like main attraction. I do too. I mean, I, I love the, the, the it, first song on that record, man. Great. 
Yeah. Yeah. Lights and Thunder is an awesome track. Um, ah, what's the other track? War yeah. Song, I think it's called, or, or something to that effect. That's all. Really you, cool. I think, is on there. Um, there yeah, there, there, there's a bunch that are that are really cool. But, you know, unfortunately, they had the big hit with a ballad and everything after that. I mean, even um, even after Pride, uh, what was the the big game was the album after that. And it suffered from the same thing. Oh, OK, so you had a hit with with weight. So now everything else has to be, you know, a, a commercial or a, um, you know, a, 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 a ballad track uh, no, no longer can you have these, you know, big, long songs with extended guitar solos and, and things of that nature? And I remember MTV had a, like, uh, a special out at the time where it was them live. And it was my first taste of a lot of the tracks off of uh, Fight to Survive because up to then, again... Yeah, that was when they used to do that. Yeah, that I actually remember that show. That's live at the yeah. Ritz because they did the Guns N' Roses one too, and <laughs> I have I have both of those on VHS. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, so that was it. I remember, you know, with my friends watching watching the show and thinking, "Wow, they're they're a lot heavier live than they are on on the albums." And then they're playing "Lady of the Valley" or uh, is is that the track? Yeah. I, I believe so. Yeah, Lady of the Valley is a track. That's a great and, song. And they were playing all these other things. I remember the song Fight to Survive, which is still a song that I love, and I included in a podcast not that long ago. Um, I remember hearing that and, and thinking, you know, what the hell is this? What Are you kidding me? They're capable of writing that, but yet what's popular on the radio yeah. or what's popular with MTV is Tell Me and Wait. and I don't know. It was just a, a bit odd to me. Um, so yeah, so I have to concur with you. I prefer the, the 85 version off of, off of fight to survive. I prefer the, um, the more bare production, the grittier sound, less synth and more guitar. Yeah. So this sounds like a band that just went to the studio and just cut them, man. Yeah. You know, they just cut it up and that, that, that's how that record feels to me. Whether or not that's how it was made, I, I don't know, but it definitely has that feeling of like, this is just a band and they're playing and, and it's, these are our songs. You take it or yeah, leave it. <laughs> absolutely. So let's, let's jump into some white line here. Um, since, since we were both magnanimous with our decision, yes. let's go with the original version of broken heart coming off of fight to survive. Here I stand. All alone, trying to fight the pain from a broken heart. Where she left me, I don't know. It really doesn't matter anymore. I thought I love could last forever. And here I
right, what you heard there, and this is the first track. Everything else that we've been doing, we've been going with the updated track. But since it, it seemed like the um, uh, like the two man jury here were uh, were definitive <laughs> with going with the original track, we've we've gone with the original "Broken Heart" off of "Fight to Survive" by White Lion. And I'm sure there are plenty of people out there that prefer that redone um, version, but that's our two cents. Yeah, okay. <laughs> right. Music is subjective, man. Whatever, whatever floats that's your it. boat. So up next is another band that Marilyn Manson had a hand in, in putting back together again. And apparently the, the story behind this is that um, it was – at the end of one of their big tours in the 90s, um, they were putting a end-of-tour party together, and he was asked what band he wanted to have play at his party. And he said, I, I want Quiet Riot to play my party. And he got them back together again with the Metal Health lineup uh, with Rudy Sarzo and Carlos Cavazzo, along with Frankie Benali and the late Kevin Dubrow, and, and they jammed at his party. And uh, a little while after that, they signed a, a deal, and, and I actually got to see them live uh, on a tour for this album, which was Alive and Well. And besides the new material, the last few tracks were were redone um, material from from their earlier albums, plus a, a cover um, I, I forget if the cover was Highway to Hell or not, or if that appeared on the album before. But uh, in any mm -hmm. event, the the redo here that I'm picking um, is Sign of the Times, which is the the track that kicked off their second album, Condition Critical. Always loved this track, and the intro to it is something that, as a kid growing up, learning to play drums, is something that I would always practice. And it's funny because that album, the drums sound so huge. And when it came to this re-recorded version, the drums just sounded just so flat to me. Um, that although I like certain aspects of it, the, the drum part of it just sort of killed me. Um, th this is a band that I've always loved regardless what formation they've had or who's been in or out of the band. Um, I do hope that I finally get my documentary from them next month as, as it's supposed to come out. Um, oh, I saw that by the way. I did watch it. I watched it on Showtime. Yeah, I, I, I got to see it. Um, was, uh, was pretty interesting, but, um, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, five years in the making. That's, uh, Inter inter interesting way of uh, of how things turned out, but but anyway, we'll see. We'll see uh, in May with what I receive. If it's any if it's any different than the Showtime version or or what exactly takes place. But uh, anyway, sign of the times off of Alive and Well. And unfortunately, I have to go back back to the original. And and again, a lot of times I prefer some of the more modernized things, but it's just. Again, being the drummer, the drum sound, I, I would have preferred a remastered version where it sort of mixed things in the now and it made it, you know, sound beefier, sound meatier, like you had mentioned with Testament, as opposed to um to what it sounded like. 
back in in eighty something. But unfortunately, the the trade off, you know, I'd I'd still prefer to listen to the the original with this. Um, Chris, you got to listen to both. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, honestly, this is a uh, first of all great tip on on uh, on this song because this is um. This is a cool song, and it's actually a song that I honestly I've, I've kind of forgotten about over time. So it was kind of uh, it was kind of cool seeing it on, on your list, and then uh, and then going and listening to um, you know both versions again, like just revisiting it was uh, was a nice, was just somewhat refreshing. I would actually say because it's uh, I just hadn't heard it in a while. Um, but so now listening to both versions again. Um, I'll say that uh, I do agree with you on on the drum sound. Um, I think that I wasn't sure what when did they when did they release that uh, when did the, that record come out when they released all those the, the redone tracks. Right. So I think that that probably has a lot to do with the way that record sounds and and probably you know um, also the effects of you know probably not having a large recording budget or anything like yeah. that to really get the sound that they wanted and. You know, once again, I, I always, I, I, this is going to be just a reoccurring theme for me, but, you know, you have a band that recorded something in the 80s, and, and uh, you know, at that time, the, the energy, the production, the, the, the sound of things, and, and where the band's at, as opposed to going back in and trying to, you know, have fun. I mean, the great thing about Fire Ride is they were just always a fun band. I mean, they were they were the band that, uh, you know, was right in there with the L.A. scene, the 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 party band which you know goes right to your story of like what what band do I want at my party I want Quiet Riot right <laughs> who would I want Quiet Riot at, at playing at the party man I mean that's like having Van Halen play at your party it's, it's of course you want of course you want them at your party um, you know and uh, I I like um, what 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 I liked about both versions was I, I thought Kevin Dubrow's um, uh, vocals were actually um, actually fairly consistent for the most part in my, in my eyes. Right. But, uh, but the, uh, what I, what I liked overall on the original version was just the sound, you know, this, I think the, the, the guitars just seem, they have more of a ripping sound to me <laughs> on, on the original version than the, uh, than the re-recorded version. So, um, where I, I feel like the band sounds like they're having fun on on those on the uh, re-recorded versions, which I, I feel like I could feel that a bit. Like yeah. these guys are having a good time, like playing these songs again, and, and you know having that chance to go in the studio again and re-record it. I think I'm gonna take the original version over this. Just I think just purely based on 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 guitar sound for me. I just I love the, the classic '80s guitar sound. It's just you know it's uh, it's it's good. Plus. You know the the album cover for Condition Critical is awesome, and I gotta say that the uh, the album cover for that for the that record that they redid is just is just god awful. So um, <laughs> I think that they, based also too on on album covers, I'm going <laughs> for the original version of uh, of that song. The album cover tiebreaker. <laughs> it really is that. I mean that that's that's it. I mean look, you know, if anybody's uh, you know listens to this, go go jump on your computer now and. Or, or pull out your copy of Condition Critical and look at that record. I mean, they don't make labels. They don't make record covers like this anymore. Yeah. Man. Can you imagine something like this coming out today? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. It would be ridiculous. I mean, the, the <laughs> Walmart so would nuts. sell it because, you know, it, it whatever advocates um, 
mental health or, or whatever. Right, it's you know, not sensitive some... to mental health issues. Or... <laughs> yeah. But uh, interestingly enough, the cover of Alive and Well is what Kevin Dubrow had tattooed on his arm, actually. Really? Yes. <laughs> well. So. Interesting. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, exactly what you said, though. It, funny, funny you brought that up and something that I forgot. They were on, I forget what label. The, the, the album came out in 99, and they were on a very small label. And that's probably, yeah, they were on Cleopatra. So that's probably exactly why. You know, they didn't have that big sound that um, that we're talking about. So, uh, yeah, anyway. I mean, I just, it's just, yeah, it's probably why, you know, and, and uh, you know, but at the same time, hey, you know, sometimes you can, sometimes you can get around that. But, you know, once again, I'm just trying to compare and contrast songs that were, that were recorded and then, and then you go redo them. It's like, okay, you know, these are the things that, you know, for me, are, are the difference makers. Yeah. All right, so we're going to go back with the original with Sign of the Times as well. And, and again, if, if you want to check out any of the other tracks, I mean, they're up on YouTube, they're up on um, iTunes, Amazon, uh, and I'm sure Spotify has them as well. So you can also... They're all very accessible. Yeah, they're all very accessible, so you can sample them also. Uh, so here we go, a little Quiet Riot with the condition critical version of Sign of the Times.
What you heard there was the track that kicked off the second Quiet Riot album, Condition Critical. The track is Sign of the Times. And now we're flipping things over to Chris with his pick number four. All right. So my pick number four is definitely um, probably rooted in some sort of controversy because I think anything surrounding Kiss is is controversial. (laughs) But uh, they had um, redone a lot of older Kiss songs um, back in 2008, I think that was. And it was a Japanese-only release that I can't even begin to pronounce it, but apparently it translates to Intense Transmission from Hell, um, which is also known as Kissology, Kiss Classics, and apparently this was released as a limited edition CD DVD set um, by Kiss, but only exclusively sold in Japan, and that's it. Um, and a portion, so one was a DVD, and it had like footage from 1977 performance at Budokan, um, and then the other one was a CD, and it was 15 re-recorded classic Kiss songs um, by the lineup of with the with the, the, the current lineup, which is you know Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Tommy Thayer, and Eric Singer. Um, so, uh, you know, redoing Kiss songs with with that lineup, uh, you know, is already kind of a problem for me. Not not to take anything away from. Listen, Tommy and Eric, I'm sure are great guys. I've never met them, and and you know, and they're respectively great players, of course. And you know, you're in a a corporate a corporate structure like Kiss. You just you know you do what you're told. So. Right. Um, but the, the track that, cause they, they did a bunch of songs on it. And if anybody, you know, and once again, as Victor's been saying, is you can listen to any of the stuff on, on YouTube. It's all on there and also through iTunes and Amazon. And you can, you can hear all these things, um, for yourself and decide what you want to purchase or not. But, um, one of the songs they recorded, uh, re-recorded on this whole record was, uh, was, was shouted out loud, which for me is one of my absolute favorite songs um destroyer is the first record i ever bought with my own money um ever it's the first rock record i ever personally owned and uh was the first record i ever got that even got me into rock and roll and and especially you know kiss so that was um you know to to hear the re-recorded version as opposed to you know the destroyer version uh is definitely um for me there's there's a lot of differences there and and uh you know, once again, I feel like that the, you know, I, I do listen to the, the track, the Japanese version one, and I feel like that, you know, the band is having fun playing these songs. I, I feel like I can I can hear that they sound like that they're had fun playing these songs with these guys, and I'm sure that, uh, you know, Eric and, and Tommy probably were like, hey, man, this is cool. Like, they get to play these songs live all the time, but, you know, to actually try to, you know, record it and, and have that experience on these songs, I'm sure was, was probably cool for them. Um, and from what I can try to tell from, from the production on that, I feel like they're trying to get that seventies vibe going on that too. Um, but it's just not, it just isn't there. I mean, you really can't replace, um, the Bob Ezrin, uh, production experience on destroyer. And I think it's even more apparent too. Like I just got the, the, the latest version, um, the new remastered version of uh, destroyer, um, which I think sounds sounds fantastic. Actually, I I, I really like it a lot. Um, and I, you know, just shout it out loud. Shout it out loud is a, is a big rock song for me. It's it's a, it's a big song in general. Obviously, it's a big 
as a big uh, fan favorite, as a crowd favorite. Dan still plays it live, and uh, you know everybody goes nuts for it. But when you listen to the recorded versions, I mean, you just can't take the place. And you know whether or not Ace actually plays on that whole song on the studio recording or not, or plays portions of it, I guess is one of those things you, you never truly will ever know. Uh, but you know, for the most part, it sounds like Ace, and you know the band just sounds in top form on that record. And I think Bob Ezrin was a was a good producer. He pulled it out of that band, and uh, I'm gonna go with the classic version of "Shout It Out Loud." I think the band made a good attempt here to try to do something fun um, for themselves, and I think for the fans. And, you know, in that part, I can kind of say, okay, hey, that's cool. You know, it's a little something different. But, uh, you know, when I when I stack it up, uh, I'm definitely not replacing the Destroyer version of Shout It Out Loud with this one. I mean, it's it's uh, going back to what I said earlier in the show with um, with Skid Row. It's it's novelty. So right. it's, it's to listen to this record. Um, I've listened to it a couple times, and it's novelty to me to listen to all these songs redone with these guys playing. And cool but i don't pick it up and ever listen to it again i just go right back to the original record so um i'm i'm keeping shouted out loud uh original version that that's my pick so Victor, i'm sure you sure you have a lot of thoughts on this <laughs> <laughs> novelty is the is is the 100 percent you know thing to to hit the nail on the head with this and and the whole album itself i mean exactly what we've been discussing the whole time and what i alluded to earlier i i listened to the japanese version once uh, i remember being in the states and buying a deluxe version of sonic boom which actually has this as a as a second cd and it had a dvd but it was live in argentina actually the um the dvd so okay. that much at least varied from the the Japanese and and I listened to same as the Japanese version I listened to each once and I couldn't discern a, a difference between um between either either one of the two versions obviously as you're saying it sounds nothing like the the <laughs> the version that was on Destroyer but the reason the band did this was flat out they were offered a ton of money to do commercials for japan and 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 they recorded it because universal wanted a a a shitload of money and the band wasn't going to see hardly any of it so they said all right well we'll re-record the tracks do you want re-records there was no issue and i think some of these were specifically done for commercials and for movies and there were others like shouted out loud that I think were just thrown in there to uh you know just expand the the album so um i'm I'm with you hundred percent the original is timeless, and I'd have to go with that as well so um let's check out shouted out loud coming off of destroyer. <laughs>
We are back with uh, Chris Vaglio here joining us on this week's episode of Mars Attacks. And we're down to my final pick. Now, this is one of the first albums that I ever picked up where I realized, you know, I thought I was buying a Greatest Hits album. And it, and it was the point in time where when this came out, I believe I was either in college or right at, right after leaving college or whatever. And and I just, you know, being the huge music nerd that I am, there were certain bands that I was buying everything that they put out. And I saw that LA Guns had this greatest hits out. And outside of my first thought being, well, what hits do they have? But um, thinking... Um, you know, this is odd. They just put out a, a studio album not that long ago, and it isn't, you know, at the time it wasn't, you know, it wasn't common for bands to put out a greatest hits right after they, they put out a studio album. And I look at it, and it was released on Cleopatra, and they had been on Polygram up until then, and just the whole thing was, was sort of odd. I saw that there were a few new tracks on it, and I... I pick it up. the The first track is a cover, but the second track is one more reason, which is off of the first LA Guns um, studio album, the the self titled LA Guns album. And it, that's always been a track in an album that I've loved. I mean, that to me is like a hidden gem that a lot of people pan as them being a a glam band or or whatever, but. I mean, there are so many different aspects of, of other types of music, other types of rock or, or metal or whatever that are mixed in there that I think the album is is one of the um, one of the better albums that that came out for that time period. And when I heard the um, the greatest hits and, and heard one more reason, uh, if you've heard the original, the intro to this is completely different. Uh, Tracy Guns is doing a completely different um, riff going into the track that's that he plays throughout the song and everything. The solo's a little different, where it just seems like like he's showing that you know he can shred or, or do whatever without having someone to label telling him what to do or what not to do. And to me, uh, at least the the track itself, I would have to say that it's a noticeable improvement over the original um just the just for the overall guitar playing on it and just the the heavier bottom end on on the track just makes it better and, it, and it's similar to the the first track that i picked uh with motley Crue, where it came out at some point in the 90s where you know there was a lot of you know as you would put it uh heavily sampled guitar work where uh there was a, a certain sound that was you know being used by Marilyn Manson or, or Ministry or, or Nine Inch Nails and you know I would definitely say that um that they were trying to capitalize on on what was going on at the time as well. So th this was definitely a move for them to uh to recoup more money than what you know Polygram was giving them due to the fact that over the next few years they re-recorded and re-released all these tracks like two or three other times <laughs> as different greatest hits packages and even went as far as re-recording their biggest sell selling album to date 
cocked and loaded and sold a cocked and loaded Millennium Edition and cocked and loaded um, Reloaded or, or something to that right. effect it was called. And they're all different. So it's just some zaniness from a band that has been on 80 labels with 200 members and uh, two different versions now too, right? Or, <laughs> or there was for us that there was like a Phil Lewis version of LA Guns and there's a Tracy Guns version of LA Guns, but yeah, but Tracy's coming back with a version of LA Guns for this summer. So there you go. There we go. Strap in. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what are your thoughts on this, Chris? Well, yeah, I mean, um, first of all, it's a, it's a great song. I love the song. Um, the first LA Guns record is just great. I mean, it's the, it's just great LA sleaze rock. I mean, just yeah. flat out. It's, it's a, it's a good record. You know, Tracy Guns has got a great guitar tone, which, uh, you know, it's pretty distinctive. I think when, when you hear him play, I mean, you can pretty much pick him out. Um, as far as the re-recording, it's funny too, that you said that, that when you bought it, you didn't even realize it. And I've noticed that too, in the past, some of the stuff and, and you, you some other things that I thought were like just greatest hits. And then it turns out to be re-records. Like I know like, you know, Twisted Sister was like one of those. I had no idea it was actually re-records <laughs> until I was like, wait a second, these are all like new versions of these songs. Like I thought this was just a greatest hits thing. Like, um, so it, it's funny you said that, but the, uh, you know, I, I do like the, there's a different treatment of the song on this version. Right. So, and I, and I find that very interesting. Like, I see, this is what, what I do, is I do like when some bands will do a rearrangement of a song or add something like, with the Megadeth song, I didn't think it worked too, too well in my eyes. But with this one, I actually, you know, I, I don't mind the updated version so much because it's not, it's not a crazy departure from the original song. Um, but it's enough that makes it, I think, expands it and makes it sound a little more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um but then I go back and listen to the other version. I'm like, man, that's a great version too. So I, <laughs> I, I guess I, I guess I like both versions. I, I guess I'm really split on it. But I, I, I would, uh, I would put this version on my iPod and I would, I would tune into it. So uh, I'll go on the record saying I, I don't think I like either version more than the other um, because I find the the uh, newer version interesting and it, it is enjoyable to listen to. So you know, I, I'll, uh, I'll. I'll say I do like this version, and so you know, for the purposes of the show and playing it, uh, I'm I'm down with it, and I, I I would would go on my iPod. There you go. There we go. It passes the iPod test. So it does. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Let's hop on into the track. This is La Guns coming off of Greatest Hits and Black Beauties. It is one more reason.
Seattle Little LA Guns. We're reaching the final stretch here. This is yes. the last track, band, so on and so forth, that we're going to discuss for uh, the show. And before hopping on into this, uh, Chris, if people want to uh, chit-chat with you online or keep up with what you're doing, um, where should they go? Yeah, absolutely. No, thanks, Victor. Um, yeah, if people want to reach out and say, hey, I mean, I'm always on Facebook. Uh, under my name, Chris Baglio. Ironically enough, there's actually two Chris Baglios on Facebook. There's an actor from Arizona who's named Chris Baglio, and then there's me. Um, but uh, I'm from New Jersey. So if, if you're caught up on Facebook, look at the state. I'm from New Jersey. Um, on Instagram, you can follow me at Instagram, um, Chris Baglio, and that's V-A-G-L-I-O, V as in Victor. And uh, also on Twitter, um, my handle is uh, Rangers Giants. So if that gives away my affiliation of uh, sports teams that I like, uh, it shouldn't be a surprise. So you can follow me on those too. And uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I love talking to people and I love, uh, you know, answering questions and especially talking music or movies or whatnot. Is uh, you know, at the end of the day, I'm just a fan like everybody else. So you know, he just <laughs> likes to get into discussions about uh, whether it's sports, music, films, whatever. I uh, I enjoy it. So yeah, please feel free to follow me, reach out, do the whole thing. We'll be we'll become we'll become online cows. So if people ask you if you'd like to see a a Boba Fett series on Netflix, you'd be willing to talk to them. I absolutely would, especially if you want to talk Star Wars. I'm 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 your guy. I'm more than happy to talk Star Wars forever. Do you want to see a Star <laughs> Wars and uh, Star Trek movie? I don't know if I want to see a crossover, though. I don't know. I like I like the two universes being separate. Gotcha. Okay. Well, let's jump in to the last topic here. Let's go with your pick number five. And we were going back and forth here because this band has quite a few signature tracks that they've done more than once. So Yeah. Yeah, and it's, and it's funny, too, I mean, because right before we started actually taping the show, we started kind of getting, you know, talking about this a bit, and, you know, and, and uh, I think the uniqueness of this band, and uh, we're talking about Whitesnake, um, if you haven't figured that already, and, you know, and Whitesnake definitely um, has had a very long career, and, uh, you know, I mean, going all the way back with, the, you know, David Coverdale being in Deep Purple, which... I know presently coming out in a few weeks is a, is a white snake, the purple record called the purple record. And he's covering, um, songs that he, um, that he, he wrote or was on, uh, when he was in his time in, with, uh, with the purple, which I'm very interested in hearing. I actually haven't heard anything yet. And I actually do like David Coverdale version of deep purple. So I, I, I'm, I am excited to hear like the white snake version of these, of these deep purple songs. But, uh, so regardless, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, we all know the big, the big, big breakout hit was uh, "Here I Go Again," and uh, that was off the uh, the White Snake record, or called the 1987 record, and that was the record that pretty much, um, you know, made them. Um, I, they were already big in Europe, but as far as America goes, this was kind of the record that really got them serious American airplay, and of course MTV. I mean, slide it in was already starting at, um, for them, but this just, uh, I mean, it was just the perfect storm and the perfect time for White Snake to come and release this record. And, uh, you know, 1987 being at the height of like, uh, 
you know, what you may want to call pop metal or, uh, you know, hard rock sound. And, uh, and here I go again is, is a, is a perfect example of a song that, uh, was already a white snake song and, you know, originally released, um, back in 1982 on the saints and sinners record. And this was at a time when white snake actually sounded a little bit more like deep purple than they did sound like white snake at the, for what, you know, most American audiences know White Snake as, um, you know, in I mean, in the band, you still have, like, you know, in the original versions, you've got, uh, you know, John Lord is playing keyboards on, on the original version, so it's got that, that John Lord, um, you know, sound on it, and Ian Pace is on drums, and um, Bernie Martin's on guitar, Mick Moody's on guitar, Neil Murray's also on, on, uh, on bass, you know, so you've got, like, um, some serious players that have been in White Snake, and uh, and it has that that uh, more of a soulful and bluesier sound. Um, here I go again, the original version, the '82 version, um, and then of course in '87 um, they redid it and put it on the '87 record with with the '87 version. And uh, you've got in the '87 version, you've got the ever covered. Of course, you've got John Sykes now on guitar. Um, Neil Murray, you've got Ansley Dunbar on drums, and Adrian Vandenberg, who actually plays the guitar solo on on Here I Go Again, and you've got Don Airy on keyboard. So, and, uh, so you've got a, definitely a, a different sound right then and there, um, for, as opposed to you know, having John Lord and, and Ian Pace and Bernie Martin and Nick Moody in the band. So um, <clears throat> the two versions are, couldn't be any more different um, in my eyes. I mean, obviously you've got the updated more polished uh, pop metal sound, I'll say, for the 87 version, and the 82 version being more of that uh, soulful, bluesier rendition. And even, you know, even so much as that lyric change, where in the original version um, of Here I Go Again, he's like, you know, Here I Go Again on my own, going down the only way I've ever known, with a hobo, I was born to walk alone. Um, he eventually changed the lyric to Drifter in the re-recorded versions, and, uh, and, you know, and it was honestly because he said he was afraid people would think he was, uh, you know, using a a, uh, a slur instead of saying hobo. So, um, which, you know, when you do listen to it now, you're kind of like, wait, but did he just say? No, 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 it's hobo. But uh, I, I do think that this is a, a version of a song, in my eyes, that, that benefited from, from being redone. Um, I do like the, I have respect for the original source material but I do like the 87 version better um, in that sense. Now, <laughs> they then took it, a, took it a step further. So I want to be clear here. I like the 87 version that appears on the on that record. When the song became a hit, obviously everybody knows the video. It's when he can, Jaguars looking hot, going nuts, all that stuff. Huge, <laughs> huge, huge video hit and radio hit. They then had to take it a step further to make sure that they, you know, make sure that they got this record every, this song everywhere and uh and you know in an american radio you've got a lot of pop pop radio stations you've got in new york area you've got a big one called c100 um wplj and even you know you've got your light fm stations and they just had to make sure that this song was just, just dominated the airwaves so they took it a step further and did another re-recorded version um of the song which then which is called the radio mix version and honestly they pretty much ground out <laughs> There's very little guitar on this version. It's mostly all keyboards. Uh, Dan, someone named Dan Huff, who I'm not exactly sure who that is, is playing guitar on it. 
You got Mark Andes on bass, Denny Carmesi, uh, Carmasi on drums, and Don Aria and Bill Como on, on keyboards once again from the original version, and of course David Coverdale singing. So when you listen to, when you see where the song started, which was Saints and Sinners, which was a bluesy, soulful like number, to you know to the more um, metaled up version uh, on '87, to this like pop gooey synthesizer song that you know became the radio edit it's like completely lost all feeling and emotion <laughs> in my eyes I, I hate the radio version i i remember when i first heard it to come on the radio back then and i was like wait they're like hey coming up next is white snake with here i go again you know and the, the, the keyboards and, the, and i'm just like what is this version like they completely sanitized it in a sense. And it's just, you know, and it's a great example of a, of a label basically saying, well, how much more money can we make out of the song? How can we milk the single? And I mean, you see it all the time with, you know, pop songs and different versions and different edits. And, you know, you've got your regular version, then you have your dubstep version, and then you've got some other version where somebody else is guessing. It's like unbelievable. And, you know, it, it's gone on forever for as long as, you know, there's been popular music and, and record labels putting out music. You've always had this happen. But this is just, example of uh of to me the the ridiculousness of taking what is in my eyes is a good song and totally making it into like not a good song <laughs> and uh you know and that's 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 the uh that's kind of the story behind that and uh, you know and listen it, the the original song is a good song it's i think the source material is great and i'm glad that he did it and put it on this record and i think it speaks it speaks a lot that hey, if you've had these songs and you wrote them ages ago, and you've got in your eye basically a brand new audience that you have to work with, an American audience that you weren't you know tapping into before, and now you have the opportunity. Why not? So, you know, I I I, I agree with the decision to redo it, and I think it was the right decision because obviously it was a popular song, and you know, and, and set the stage too for the for the next record to come. You know, slip of the tongue, which was also a huge record for them and uh you know made them a headlining you know between uh, those two records they were headlining acts in, in america for you know for a while and i think have you know kept the band very relevant um you know in today's age as far as being a memorable band um so you know like them dislike them but you know they actually you know they they, they have a song you can still hear here i go again today and hopefully not the dumb radio edit first <laughs> <laughs> just just to clue you in dan hoff is a producer out of Nashville. He actually worked on uh he actually worked on possibly Megadeth's two least popular albums between the fans. He worked on Cryptic Writings and he worked wow. on Risk. Yeah, he was the producer on both of those albums. And but as a player, he played on Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins. He's played on uh Man in the Mirror by Michael Jackson. Uh, My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. Um, what else? Some Paul Abdul, some Michael Bolton. Um, so, yeah, if you want to go for someone that knows how to get the hits, you call Dan Huff. Well, there you go. You know, that guy's laughing all the way to the bank, and you and I are talking about it on the podcast. There you go. So, yeah, the that version is atrocious. In my opinion, but it's like horrible. Said, he's, he's 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 the one that's cashing that uh, that check in once a month, and 
what are the two yahoos talking about him getting in more press so um, yeah exactly i i would go with the 87 version i mean i'm not the the hugest white snake fan but uh like we mentioned beforehand i mean we could have gone with crying in the rain and we could have gone with fool for your loving uh because there we did them and hell the the purple album is going to be a redo of all those classic uh deep purple tracks so it is yeah. something that's foreign to david coverdale so um i'm gonna go with you and go with the 1987 track and we will use this to close out the show thanks again chris for for coming on board and um and talking some great great music uh with me and Expect to um, hear from Chris again on the show. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd love to be on more, and you know, we're talking about some good ideas. And uh, yeah, hey, and, and obviously any ideas anybody else has too. I mean, I'm definitely willing to to listen to whatever people would like to hear us maybe potentially talk about as good ideas. And obviously too, you know, contribute to this show because uh, I'd love to hear what other people's opinions are. You know, I'm sure, listen, there's a million songs I know we left out with uh, artists and stuff. I mean, we mentioned Twisted Sister real quick and, you know, there's so many more that you and I were going back and forth about prior to the show. So (laughs) I'm interested to see other people spark a debate. (laughs) And there there are others that, you know, I'm thinking of as we're recording this that we didn't even mention in the list going back and forth. So so there's plenty that people can chime in on so if if you are so inclined to comment please do that on facebook or or twitter and and let us know what you think but uh we are going to end things once again with the 1987 version of white snakes here i go again thanks for listening guys and Hope you come back and check us out here on the Mars Attacks podcast. Here we go with a little white snake.
Mars Attacks Podcast. This concludes our show. 